0: Hello everyone, this is Trey Borden and welcome to this episode of What We Gon' Do. There's Meanwhile, a set in my spare room,
1: yeah. I'm married to a novelist.
0: So. <laughs> well, thank you, yeah, there's like a great Twitter account I'm sure you've seen where they like judge people based on their bookcases behind them, their credibility. <laughs> I'm like hiding all of my images. <laughs> um, trying to judge well, thank you for accommodating my obviously necessary hair appointment woo it's like <laughs> it's like, like the it. bunch of knots did not last <laughs> <laughs> um well this is awesome well thank you so much so I wanted to have this conversation I've been actually wanting to have this conversation for a while even before this kind of uh, Race Reckoning began because I I know kind of what it's been like for each of you and for, you know, many others that I know to kind of pursue uh, a role in entertainment, but more specifically in kind of theater. I think that there's unique challenges to kind of the stage and um, it seemed like some of those were kind of slowly being addressed. But I think this moment is a chance to kind of crack everything open, um, especially since everything has been ceased for the foreseeable future, um, who knows for how long. And I wanted to kind of have a frank discussion about like what the possibilities might be, kind of let's get real about what the issues are that you see um, and kind of what is a what is a kind of productive way forward since we have this kind of really unique opportunity to reimagine um, what something could be. So thank you so much for showing me, uh, for kind of showing up and having this conversation. You guys are great. So before we begin, um, for those of you, for the people watching who don't know who you are, please just give a, a short introduction um, about who you are and kind of what your connection to the theater is. We can start with Nana. Oh, okay. Ladies first.
1: Um, <laughs> uh, my name is Nana Mensa. I am an actor and a writer. I, uh, and based in New York. So I do a fair amount of theater. I was in fact in the middle of a, uh, I was about to start teching a performance of uh, Jocelyn Bio's play, Nollywood Dreams, right when COVID happened. Our first day of tech was March 14th and the shutdown happened on March 13th. So, um, so hopefully we'll be returning to that at some point in 2021, Um, but uh, yeah. So I, I do a fair amount of TV and film as well which helps me to afford my theater habit. And um, and uh, and I also write, I write for television as well. So.
0: Great, thank you, Nana.
2: And I am Erin Lee Lambert. Um, I am an actor living in London. I'm obviously American, but I've been in London for <laughs> over 10 years now. Um, so that's kind of a unique perspective. Um, I, I went to, university with Trey. We were roommates. So we go back a long way. Um, But I am currently, yeah, back, 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 back. I am currently in the London company of Hamilton, um, which I've been in since it opened. So this is not my third year, but we're obviously in a hiatus. So, yeah, that's, that's my connection to theater. I've worked in the industry for about 10 years. I'm also an agent. I run a small boutique agency with two fellow actors um, and I write occasionally, but I'm not very prolific.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Yeah, Obviously, we'll get into kind of the moment that Hamilton's happening, uh, you know, happening. Obviously, Hamilton hit Disney Plus last week, which introduced an entire new world literally to uh, this musical that I think in many ways has been held up as like the future of musical theater. Um, and so we'll get into that. Um, I think that, you know, starting out with, you know, this is a very impenetrable industry for a lot of people. I mean, so many people grow up, you know, wanting to entertainment. I think a, a very special subsect of those people grow up wanting to be in theater. And I, I think that one of the reasons why we don't see it very special, like y'all are very special people. Uh, I think that what's interesting is that, you know, the pathway to the stage, even just as a performer, is so difficult, um, no matter who you are, let alone for a person of color or a black person. Um, can you guys each speak to kind of like what what has been your journey to kind of like the stage? I mean, both in New York and in London. Um, what was that or kind of what did you, would you take a traditional path or a path that kind of like you had to carve out on your own? I mean, it's probably a mix of both. Aaron, let's start with you.
2: Yeah, um, it's definitely a mix. Of, yeah, it's definitely a mix of both for me. Um, after college, um, I moved to New York and I, I worked a little bit. You know, I did a, a a show off Broadway and like a concert at Carnegie Hall and a couple of regionals. Um, But um, I decided because my degree is a liberal arts degree and I didn't train um, in theater that I wanted to get a master's. So I ended up doing a master's degree in Scotland, um, which kind of gave me a visa track to stay in the UK. Um, And it wasn't necessarily the plan, but it ended up happening. And then, you know, 10 years later, I'm still in London, so um, that's kind of my pathway. Um, it, I, I guess we'll speak on this m- in more detail later, but um, it, the way race plays a part in that is very complex, I think, at least in my journey. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think that it was nec- that necessarily was the primary struggle that I had. It was more of self-actualization, like finding kind of what I did best and staying in that lane um, more than anything. But yeah, I think that it, it is a saturated industry and it is tough and it, you know, it, it do take nerve.
0: It do take nerve, creativity, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Yeah, that's uh, Well, I mean, I, I find it really interesting because I mean, you, you, first of all, you're half black, half white, you're a mixed race, you're American. You're now in the UK. I think that like being a black person in America is maybe different than being a black American person in the UK. Even say so your relationship to that. Absolutely. Do you think that that has that given you? I wouldn't want to say an edge because I feel like how many? I mean, how many black Americans are you even running into um, over there? Kind of in your. There, area. there
2: are there are some. There, there, are a handful of us. Um, it's it's definitely not a case of you know I'm a. a, a on my own in that regard um i do i do think that specifically in the musical theater canon both on both sides of of the the atlantic much of the material is american or about americans so i think being american here does give me you know a a slight edge for american characters and american shows um and i think that um you know, being a black American has definitely given me a slight edge in some shows, you know, and it's also, you know, not, it's kind of counted me out of a lot of British things as well. So,
0: um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, there's a duality there. Duality. Uh, Nana, how, what about your journey?
1: Well, I, uh, let's see, I came to New York, similar story, graduated from the Ivy League went to uh went to new york felt uh like nothing was happening and i started writing kind of in a parallel track of just like trying to create roles for myself i would get really close to stuff and then wouldn't get it or um i would Oh, boy. I mean, like, those early days were, I mean, there's like a whole book's worth of material, the things that I did. I worked in an illegal gambling parlor in the Upper East Side. I worked um, in nightlife. I, I, you know, I mean, the only thing I didn't do was, like, I was not one of those chicks in the, like, sequin thing on Broadway handing out, like, flyers to go to the, like, you know, matinee shows, like, in the top hats and the, you know, because I don't have the legs for it. but. Um, I think it was, uh, you know, it was a very rocky road, and I think, uh, again, coming from a liberal arts background, it was like, well, you know, you also have this other skill set, you can tell stories, so why don't you, like, so I would take little hodgepodge classes, kind of, you know, I didn't have the, if I was going to get an MFA, I wanted to go for acting, and then you know, got to the final callback weekend at Yale School Drama didn't get in. So it was just always like near misses, like it was just kind of like this history of near misses. And so um, I started writing and and piecing together classes that I could find uh, just to help me with like the framework of figuring out how to write and then uh, for screen and and then that was and then I uh, started working a little bit more in theater and then of working a little bit more in television and it just kind of like ended up being this like they've progressed at a, more or less a similar on like a similar trajectory so now i i do both and like when people are like well what if you had to pick one it's like i really couldn't because they require different skill sets and they're both really um they scratch different itches you know well for sure and i think that you
0: know i i, I think also part of your background is being like you know child of immigrants, you have a really deep connection to your kind of ancestral roots, which a lot of us don't have. So I think that um, you've been able to tap into that creatively and also kind of be connected to those stories as well. That's um, true. So I think that like just getting into where we're at now. So we're in a place where the everything is halted for the foreseeable future. Um, I think that's a really scary place for like, no matter who you are in this industry. Um, and for, but particularly for kind of people of color where your position is probably the most precarious. Like, I think that we're the most invested in change happened during this time. Like what are, I'm trying, cause I'm trying to take myself out of it because I feel like I have much more exposure than the average person does. But like give, give people a sense of uh, how white theater actually is. You know, I mean, cause like we're seeing Hamilton, we're seeing, you know, Strange Loop win a Pulitzer, which I, I actually want to get into that in a, certain, uh, in a second. But like, what is the state of things as a person of color who's, who's in this industry?
1: Um, I know that there has been obviously a huge reckoning across industry um, in publishing and, you know, sports and also in the theater um, and in entertainment in terms of TV and film. Um, the, the New York theater is, is incredibly white. I mean, in terms of talking about the stakeholders, like I can't think of a single um, black artistic director in, in the city uh, that's, a, that's south of 59th street. Um, I can't think of, uh, you know, oh, I, I can think of one. <laughs> I can think of one. Uh, the The artistic director of the Flea Theater, who is, the Flea Theater also is having its own reckoning because its business model uh, involves, which I was a member of, of a non-equity company. So you basically get off the bus, fresh from Omaha or wherever. and uh, And they're like, well, you can come to be a part of our resident non-equity theater company. You will also have to work concessions, do your own costumes. You know, clean up after like the thing, you know in the theater. So it's like it's and I and I did it for one year, and I was like, this makes me feel bad. Like I don't like this business model. I think it capitalizes on something that's very precious, and which is like your reason of wanting to be an actor. The problem was is that once I left that that non-equity theater company and became an equity member, I found the same thing. You have to be wealthy to be able to afford to do theater in this in this city. Um, it does not pay a living wage. If you do not cobble it together with either commercials or TV work or film work or a day job, which I don't know what day job would allow you to, you know, miss a month and then, you know, uh, right. miss a month, you know, it's, 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 impo- it's, it's really hard. And so um, I think when I talk about, because I've never had any direct, I've never experienced any direct racism in uh, the plays that I've done here in the city and the theaters that I've worked with, i'm sure it exists i'm positive it exists but within the the framework that i have seen i have not experienced it i'm often the only black person in the play that that i'm doing so that is something uh there are i've never worked with a black designer um and uh yeah because all the designers are, are are for the most part white i think i've worked with one asian designer maybe two Uh, so yeah it's a it's a very white world and um you know i am lucky i you know when we talk about levels of privilege i talk about i think about my own privilege that my parents made sure that i had like comfort around white people like i'm not uncomfortable around white people and um and and better not be (laughs) what
0: i said better not be (laughs)
1: <laughs> better not be exactly. If you want to go into this industry, you better be comfortable with white people. And so I, I think of that as a privilege, and 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 that has been, um, uh, you know. But yeah, I've had to use, I've had to tap into that that privilege a lot in working in the theater.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think I think when you describe kind of direct racism, like I mean, I mean, I, I'm assuming you mean like someone saying something racist to you or calling you, uh, you know, the N word or something like context
1: not even not even that not even that severe you know even in terms of like microaggressions of my hair or my body shape or my you know like I've just not I've just I've been hyper aware to like attuned to it I've been waiting for it at every corner and it has not come to my face it has not come Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I mean I'm just imagining like going into all these callbacks and auditions and being like the only black person and like just kind of even though it's not direct, it's like, wow, you know, like this is, I mean, it's a racialized environment. I think that like, luckily because of your background, you're able to endure, but I wonder what it is like for, you know, someone who's not, someone who is kind of like, you know, from a maybe more hard scrabble background or black background who went to an HBCU, who like hits the city, like, I have an amazing voice. I love musical theater. Who's not going to recognize that? and then being like, oh wow, like, I was not prepared for that. I feel like that must be a lot of people's experience who are uh, who don't know what to expect as much as maybe the two of you did.
1: And, and also, uh, I, I want to hear what Aaron has to say about this, but, but uh, I'm not a musical theater actor. I feel like that's important to distinguish. Um, I only go in for straight plays. So that is a difference, you know. Um, sure, I sure. think because I remember uh, there was a talk, uh, Black Women on Broadway, last week that was hosted online, and Audra Audra McDonald was one of the keynote speakers, and she speaks about like, you know, she went to Juilliard for opera, and she talks about walking into musical theater auditions and exp- and them expecting her to sing, you know, like whatever, like like you know, blacken up your 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 piece, like when you're going to audition, and so I think that there is like. A little bit you know there's a code in musical theater about what black people are limited to be able to do um and i think that i haven't experienced that because i don't sing and i don't i would i would pass the baton to aaron to speak more about that thank you for making that distinction yeah
2: yeah yeah i mean i mean that's bang on um there there is coded language within musical theater that is much more overt um, and we're just kind of conditioned to accept it. But I mean, I've been speaking, you know, in the wake of the current climate, I've been speaking to a lot of of Black-identifying people in London working in musical theater and pretty much everyone has been told as a note for singing to sing more Black. And that is, you know, the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You know what I mean? If you really think about that, um, when a white person says to a black person, you don't sound black enough like that, that's absurd. Um, But that is that is, you know, coded language that we we are used to. And it's a note that I'm like, okay, I know what they mean. I can take that note. Um, I it's barely a code. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's not a <laughs> like yeah. sing black. <laughs> yeah, well and well I think the coded part for me is sing black because that's why we hired you. Like that's the coded part. Um because I, I mean me personally, I you know, I did not go to Juilliard, but I, I trained in classical singing first. So that is kind of where my voice sits naturally. Um and I am because of the way I look, I am expected to sound a specific way. Because there are only parts in musical theater for that specific type of black person. Because those are the only roles that black people are the only black characters that really exist in the musical theater canon. Um, you know, the, it's you know, the, there it's the 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 big black lady singing eleven o'clock number that's gonna you know make the gays jump out of their seats. You know, there's the the dancing. You know, young black dude who's gonna like you know sweep you off your feet. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're the, they're the, they there are or there's like the the kind of black clown who's gonna make you laugh. Like there are these tropes that are much more um, identifiable and kind of relied upon and you know and made excuses for um, in musical theater more than in straight theater. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that is a distinction to. To, to make and, and an important place to to focus on. Um, if, if we go back a little bit to kind of the difference between London and New York when it comes to what it's like to be a black actor for the theater, um, there's an additional layer of classism here that exists in New York, but it, it, it exists here um, tenfold because of kind of, w- who theater has traditionally been for in the United Kingdom. Um, and the elitism that's tied to that. Um, when you have, you know, organizations like the national theater and Royal Shakespeare company that are entrenched in a history that is white. Um, and those specific two organizations, I am not calling out because they do both of those specific organizations do a lot of work for diversity and inclusion. And, um, you know it, they're they're not off the hook, but but I'm not calling them out because of they're problematic. I'm calling them out because of the history they're entrenched in, um, and who 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 their work was for. You know, after World War II. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, so there's there's a, there's kind of a reckoning with in London with the competing ideas of populism and elitism, and who who theater's for, um, who it's by. Um, and kind of who, who it's about. Um, and those are kind of tangential threads that are kind of always competing and pushing and pulling. And, you know, that spills into um, how actors relate to the work as well.
0: Yeah, it's like, what's the opposite of FUBU? It's like, for y'all, by y'all, made by y'all. <laughs> like, yeah. and yeah. I want to talk about the audience piece, I think is really interesting because I, you know, I think that's how a lot of this would be justified because they're like, look, we would love to feature, you know, black women or, you know, different voices behind, you know, the the creation of this work, um, and different actors to portray it. But like, the only people who buy tickets are old white people with money, you know, more or less. And so like that, it's like, you're chasing the ticket holder, but yet the ticket holder is being cultivated by this kind of body of work that only, Kind of pushes people so far so like how do you i mean has that has that been changing in recent years i mean anecdotally it's like i haven't like the few times i've been to theater or opera or a play even when i saw so i saw strange loop which you know recently won the pulitzer by michael jackson um, the living michael jackson he calls himself oh, this nigga. i love him and he, he has this play that's about like the blackest gayest content like, I felt seen in a way I'd never felt before. Called out as well. Um, <laughs> but I'm looking, so I'm looking around. He has these, you know, jokes about Tyler Perry and Todrick and grinder hookups and Inwood and, you know, interracial dating and the problem Magnus of all of that. And I'm looking around, I'm getting weak. And I'm looking around and I'm like, why are you guys all getting weak? And it's like all these old white people. So it's like, I was so surprised because even when the content is like, she could not be from a, a more authentically – black queer place and the content is not sparing anyone's feelings, especially not white people. Um, it, I was, and I left there being like, this is for people like me. Everyone like me should see this. And I'm like, I'm the only one like me here who saw this. Um, how does the, how does, how how do you start to reshape an audience? Even when you have different types of content?
2: Before we tackle that, I just want to like something that my, my gut reaction to that is that there's, there are people it's for, and then there are people who like want to feel woke. So they want to be present. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like my, like my gut, my gut response to like the white people getting as weak as you is because like they want to stay like, I'm on this side. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm part of, you know, a progressive,
0: ideology
2: and this proves it because I am here and I am laughing.
0: I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I also, I mean, I agree with that. Cause like that's, cause I was like, how are you comfortable hearing this? Cause it's about you, you know? Mm. Uh, and I wonder like what the amount of self-reflection is with that audience member. Um, yeah. But again, it's like, I don't, I'm not sure who's in charge of Pulitzer's but it's probably a bunch of old white people. So good thing they were there because anyways, <laughs> they, yeah. They,
1: they very recently diversified the nominating committee, and that this was right around the year that Kendrick won. For remember, because mm-hmm. Kendrick won a Pulitzer, so that this sure. won, like they've been working to diversify the. the and that the woman, community. she's now in charge of Simon and Schuster.
0: Did they just announced that. Bingo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, she was doing doing work
1: on that committee. She was doing (laughs) the work. She was doing the work. She said, come on, guys, the door's open. The door's open. Run, 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 run. So, (laughs) so, um, which I think, uh, but back to your question about the finances, I do think that that's a big problem. I've never run a theater. I don't know what the finances look like to run a theater. Um, I will say that I, Uh, yeah, that the subscription model seems to be a way that it goes. And so every towards a couple months before the season, once they've announced all the plays, they send you a little brochure and they're like, this is our season. Subscribe for $600, $700 for the whole season. And that's a discount, to be clear. That's the discount. And so, um, you know, and so subscribe with us. This is our season. And if this is not sexy to people. If it doesn't have enough grabby whatever, maybe they don't subscribe. Maybe they just buy one ticket to the one play they want to see as opposed to buying a subscription for the whole thing. So I, I do think that like late stage capitalism is rearing its ugly head and and we don't have uh, an, a real f- format for how to tell these stories in an economically sustainable way that also uh, you know, opens the door to anybody who wants to see it. I think of some of the most um, transformational theater experiences I've had in the past couple of years, and, and it costs a lot of money. I mean, part of the reason I'm saving so much money in quarantine is because I'm not going to the theater, and so I, and that's, that's that's messed up. You know what I mean? That discretionary yeah. income is not being spent uh, because it can't be, and 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 that just gives you an idea of like you know i mean there's some programs tdf theater development fund works really hard to try and open up the doors but i believe you need to be a union member to get access to some of their discounts um online otherwise you have to go and queue at their um various um satellite offices where you you know it's like the tkts booth Mm -hmm. um, where you just go in times square and you like hope for the best and see what's available it's just so hodgepodge and it's kind of hard to organize your your, what you wanna see around that. So I just think, you know, I was really pleased when I went to London, and please tell me if this feels totally wrong, Erin, but I was really pleased when I went to London and I saw how affordable the tickets were. The tickets were way more affordable than they are Broadway. Like West End prices and Broadway prices, they do not seem to be in the same like, you know, category. And I'm assuming that that's because the tickets are subsidized by a lot of government agencies, maybe the Arts Council or whatever, in the UK.
2: Th- that's not entirely true. Um, I think that the tickets are, like, the Arts Council does subsidize some organizations, but not commercial West End production. So anything in the West End is the same commercial model as Broadway. Um, I think traditionally, um, theater, the west end has been more affordable it's changed quite a bit in the past five to ten years um there you know they've adapted since kind of book of mormon and dynamic pricing and um the 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 models that kind of kind of raise prices like beyond celebrity casting like the models that raise prices to you know premiums for premium seats on broadway kind of came to the uk just about like 10 years later so it, it 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 is though we have people who come from new york to see hamilton in london because it's cheaper to fly here and stay
0: in the hotel and that's that literally here. crazy i mean yeah. it's crazy that that actually is cost savings i mean yeah that speaks to kind of like how untouchable and how inaccessible theater is for americans i mean for many many white americans you know let alone black people You know who you know don't have a history of going to theater because of who it's been marketed to and Mm -hmm. and don't have the you know economics to like come close to having that be affordable outside of like what hamilton i think has done to try and make that specific show more accessible or a show like color purple where the producer and the content is so known by black people that they're making a huge effort to see that i mean let's talk about the business model i think there's a couple of things that are going on with that that are interesting because you know, you have, like, let's let's talk about Hamilton, you know, I mean, in, I think that you guys both had experiences in screen. And for me, when I see something like as inaccessible as Hamilton coming to a streaming service, to me, what that represents is a potential for so much more accessibility of this content, like, in terms of cultivating a theater-going public, a theater-going public, you know, being, I mean, I was so surprised to remember that, oh yeah, like only 1% of people in this country, if they if that, have even seen this musical, it, even though its impact has been so outsized and you see these actors in all types of other content formats and whatnot. Um, so I was like, well, maybe this would be a way for like, maybe every show should just be filmed. And also like, not just because it makes it more accessible, but it's also, you know, hopefully different income streams for the actors. Um, Maybe, I think that that might have been a naive assumption that this would be something that opened the doors for actors to get paid lots of money and for people to see theater really affordably. Like, what is your take on that? Please.
1: <laughs> well, well, first um, of all, I, well, let me just say quickly because I know Aaron's experience with Hamilton. I, I will speak for a non-Hamilton world that every, every single performance in New York City, Broadway or off-Broadway, is filmed for archival purposes. And that archival uh, footage is at the Lincoln Center Library where you can go for free and watch those productions. So that is something, but like, is that advertised? Do people know about that? That doesn't sound that? very accessible even still. Even still doesn't sound very accessible, exactly. It's not the same as piping it right into your computer or into your, into your screen at home. So I know that there has been some, people have thought like you in the past, but like, yeah, you gotta get to the Lincoln Center Library to be able to see these things. So anyway, I'll let Aaron take over.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a very nuanced conversation um, and there are kind of many strands we could go down. I mean, if, if we're talking about the streaming or, or the, the broadcast of live theater on screen, you know, that has existed for, for, you know, fifteen years since PBS started showing Lincoln Center productions, um, since National Theater started National Theater Live. Like that that's that's been happening. Um you also have several, you know, a lot a lot of them are musicals, but several musicals that have been filmed in their theaters and shown in cinemas. Like that that is something that has been rolling out to very varying success. Um it it it, but nothing, you're 100% correct in, in, in pointing out that like nothing has kind of landed in the way this Hamilton original Broadway cast recording um, our film has has as, as far as, you know, what it's worth of the, it's, it's, its value culturally and, and monetarily, and also, you know, its reach. Like it is unprecedented in that sense. And it will be interesting to see how, what, where things go, because I I do think it's a, it's kind of an oftentimes suggested idea that, you know, oh, theater, why don't you just broadcast things? Like, why don't you just show things? And like, I think it's important to really kind of say out loud that like, you know, we've had film and television for, you know, a long, 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 long time, nearly a century and, and and the reason why, why performance still exists and is still profitable and it's still commercial is because it's a communal experience and people want to be in the space with other people and with the artists and feeling something together. Um, so I, I, I think that- The room where it happens, perhaps? <laughs> I have they're, to- they're, I think, it, and I'm sure we're going to talk um, a little bit later about like where we see the industry going. But like, I have full faith that like, just because there's a lot of free content of of theater stuff online and on YouTube, and just because you know Hamilton's on a streaming service, that I don't think that's going to take away from you know the profound impacts. Being in a space with other human beings and experiencing something together has um, on on culture. So I, I think that I don't think there's going to be a shift, um, but I, I do think there is scope for reaching new people and bringing them into the theater using these methods. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how Hamilton on Disney Plus does that
1: and you what know, also- effect it has on that. And, and also uh, just in terms of your your point, Trey, about like everybody can get rich off of this business model. The actors of Hamilton in the original Broadway cast, because I know some of them, had to fight very, very hard to in, to be incorporated in the profit sharing. And this there had to be so much money at, involved for them to even get just the teeniest sliver of the merchandising that bears their images, the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. And the producers did not give that willingly. I believe it was Leslie Odom and who who kind of rallied the cast to be able to band together and and basically bargain for what they got. And I know some of them will continue to get checks for a very, very, very long time. but it's not like somebody was like we're making so much money let's cut in the actors like nobody did that <laughs> let trickle know? that down absolutely yeah, yeah <laughs> it didn't happen you trickle down economics fails yet again and so yeah. and so they and had every like, cut right that's a point
0: well that's very disappointing i mean especially when you think about what a musical like hamilton i don't want to do- i don't want to dwell too much on hamilton because this is universally true i mean I know did you guys read the article that Michaela Cole was talking about where she was just trying to get a tiny bit yeah. of her own copyright and this is a this is a copyright I know I love I love that she was able to hang in there and fight for herself and, and meanwhile this is her actually selling her own rape story and they're trying to yeah. not even let her have any ownership of it so which that is there's a whole that's a whole other episode but I'm just saying like I think the entire you want to go back to the business model of exploitation it's disappointing that a musical like Hamilton that's like look at us, like, we are featuring all these brown faces and we're completely kind of transforming what you think theater is and who it's for. Um, and profit immensely because of that, you know, kind of novel and maybe courageous at that time approach. Um, but then to like, adopt the same exploitative model, uh, and make even more money off the backs of these brown people. It's like, I think somewhat problematic. And like, how do you see yeah, I did read the article with Leslie where he was like, this is about generational wealth building. This is about standing up for your value. I can only imagine. Like, we like to think that he just made his case and had a little PowerPoint deck, and they were like, you know what, this black person's right. Like, we're being completely exploited. But I'm sure
1: it was much, much, much more
0: difficult than that. And
1: and one more thing about this is that it has um, it has opened up the door to profit, participation from people who've originated parts but maybe don't go on so so there's before anything gets to stage for the most part there is a very 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 long process of workshops and and uh, you know where you do think backers you know readings and things like that and this can this can go on in perpetuity and one of the things that happened Um, I'll speak from a personal perspective without naming any names, but I was uh, the first and only person to read a lead part in a straight play um, for a Black female playwright. And uh, it went on for five to six years, a couple readings every year. Um, And every year the cast would shift a little bit, but I was always reading that lead part. So in my head, I'm like, nothing is guaranteed, but this is this is mine, like this is, this is, and at the time I didn't have a lot of credits, so this was like gonna put me on the map, like I was ready, it was gonna happen, whatever. And then I heard from a friend that they were doing auditions and I hadn't heard anything and I was like, oh, well that's because they're gonna offer it to me. And then I, but I sent an email to the playwright anyway, just being like, hey, just, you know, checking in, I hear you guys are doing auditions. She's like, oh yeah, uh, we're, we're gonna invite you to audition. And I said, huh? okay, well, you know what I can do. You've been seeing me do it for the past five years. And um, so I went to the audition. I did what I did and I didn't hear anything back. And I emailed the playwright again. And I was like, hey, uh, is there, you know, can you just let me know what's going on? She was like, oh, I'm so sorry. We decided to go another way. And that was devastating for me on on a creative level, but on the other level, what, on another level, if this play had gone on, it had an off-Broadway run and it was successful, but it was off-Broadway, if it had had gone on to a commercial run, is there, what is there? And this is a philosophical question that we're starting to ask ourselves, what was my contribution to that piece of artwork? being the only person who had read that lead part and they had crafted, you know, she'd made edits based on things I suggested there, it, you know, it's a very, actors bring more than just being a body saying the words. And so Hamilton cracked open the door to being like, well, look, people develop this work over years and they too should partake if this thing goes on to be like a wild, you know, a wild success, especially commercial success. And so, yeah, I think the role of the actor, Hamilton has also opened the door to reconsider what the role of the actor is, especially in the development process.
0: Well, you're like crucial to the IP. It's kind of like a legal question, right? It's like yeah. this this understanding of George Washington or whatever role we're talking about, is like so closely linked to what that person did in it that like, no matter what happens to it afterwards, like that's the kind of jumping off point for anyone else. Um, yeah, and,
2: Aaron, and, for, and for huge commercial properties like, Hamilton, and I i, I might be miss, misspeaking here, but I think that Book of Mormon also did um, a similar deal, um, that they had a situation when it first came out that I, I think the original cast, you know, they, they share some bit of profit with subsequent productions um, because they originated those original tracks. But um, in, in these big corporate beasts where you're literally carbon copying the exact same production over and over and over again, that original person, when the show freezes, every single one of their acting choices is in the book, and that is what is taught to the next actor. So you literally—it's not even just like, oh, I—I I was part of a development process, and I, and and, and some of the ideas are mine, and are, are and, and, and some of you know the rewrites were around me, but in, but in the case of some of these these big shows, like you know, uh, Idina Menzel's choices during Defying Gravity, every alphabet has to do those to do it raise this hand then she, she you know the people who create these big parts and these huge commercial blockbusters they are just as much a part of of the creation of, of, of this of this piece of art as the other components um, and so yeah I think that especially Hamilton um, has blown open that conversation and, and, and made people recognize that you know there 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 is a lot of value to what actors contributed, especially um, as was said in, in in earlier development stages because you know i've i've done a, a bunch of workshops like so many and like you, you go from one day to the next and literally the way you write a scene is how they you know rewrite the character for the next draft you know like you're a vital part um and you know theater is so collaborative um, and to treat actors as if they are, you know, just a piece of a machine
0: is, you know, you know. disposable.
2: It's, it's, disposable. It's, it's, and yeah. it's, and it's exploitative, exactly, yeah. exactly, so. Well, it's
0: like every other kind of American industry, right? I think that that's like, yeah. I, I want to clarify something. Like, so, if I am the set designer for Hamilton, because I think that, like, that is equally, like, responsible for, you know, your experience of that show, does that person get compensated like when it's yeah, yeah, replicated? Yeah, yeah. So is it so? It really, it is the performers uniquely who were kind of shut out of that.
2: Like it's everyone below the creative team. Um, you know, because th- th- there there are arguments that can be made that like production stage managers, you know, have a huge impact on how a big commercial show is going to work um, when it's rolled out. But it's it's anyone. To my knowledge, it's anyone below the creative team. So like all of your designers, you know, they are, they all will have pieces of, of, of the of the profit and the royalties as well. So like all your writers and your designers, it's and then when you get to like associated things, I think that kind. a lot of times, some of those people are included and some of them are not, but your lighting designer, your costume designer, your sound designer, your set designer, all those people are included in, in the profit shares, just like the writers. Right,
0: all those people who by the way are away. I think I I wanna make sure we are conscious of time, but like I know that it is not just the performers who don't represent like America or like the way the world is composed. It's like every kind of like the backstage crew, it's the makeup people like you mentioned, obviously it's the writers and the producers. Like how do we get to a, a place with more inclusiveness and equity Without those people kind of looking radically different, there's no way. I'm assuming we don't. How, yeah, how I do think we the, yeah,
2: I think the, the short answer is we don't. I, and I think that um, I think that 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 is where this conversation needs to point. Is we we we're seeing a lot more diversity on stages, um, but a lot of times it is superficial. Um, it. It's not true diversity. You need, you need diversity across every single department, in from wardrobe to sound to lights to technicians, in house in house um, in house um, staff. You you need diversity across the board, and then you also need diversity um, in in marketing, in press, critics need to be more diverse. Um, you need more diversity in gatekeeping roles, producers. Writers, directors, casting directors, agents like the, the only way we're going to actually see change is if there is diversity from the top all the way to the, the bottom. They, you, you, yeah, that's the only way.
0: And they got to be willing to give up money and influence and power and kind of like just like every other industry we're seeing, uh, you know, it always looks the same at the top, and those people have to. You know, understand that like giving something up is actually going to lead to the overall health and well-being of this industry. Um, and I'm not sure, kind of how you make that case. I mean, you uh, you sent us this, and I had seen this already. This, and um, I don't know who wants to kind of tackle this, but like it's a. I think it's is it called We See You, American Theater is the movement. White American theater. Of, so we, why, we, see w- white.
2: Yeah. The, we see you, W-A-T. Yeah. That we see you, Um, We see you, white American theater is the kind and of. And so gonna
0: talk to, talk about kind of what that movement has been and I know they released their demands almost as if they knew this conversation was happening like last yeah. night. Uh, <laughs> kind of talk about your relationship to that and kind of what you think that could help do. And also I want to hear from you what kind of opposition because right now it's really uh, unsexy and maybe risky to come out and be like, hold on black people, you know? So everyone kind of has to pretend that they're on board with all this stuff that's happening. But I think the backlash or the resistance is probably underway in some subtle way, but you know, I'm assuming we'll become much more overt later, so I'm gonna talk about that. But what is this movement about, Aaron? Or not, um, or whoever's more connected to it, or has a- been- I, I mean,
2: I think, I think that, I, I don't feel that connected to it being in London because um it is a very, American movement. Um, but I can sp- briefly speak on on how I see it from where I am. Um, it, it, it I mean, just to describe it, it is a group of, of people of color who have come together and they've just released a series of demands to make theater in the United States Equitable and to 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 reach actual equality um, and make the the industry better for people of color. Um, it it is I've read all the demands and it is thorough and aggressive as it should be. And I I I cannot even imagine how they're going to respond to it. And I I don't even know who there is. You know what I mean? But um I. I think it is much needed. And I think that it's the beginning of a conversation. I, I mean, I don't, I can't really say much more because it's a lot to digest um, and, but I'm, I'm really hopeful that it's going to spark something. Um, you, anything you wanna add? I mean,
0: I'm trying to think about like some of their specific demands, but it was things like 50% representation in like every role that composes theater you know? Right. And, 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 I think,
1: and I think that there's, uh, it's like there's so many issues and I don't want to be a naysayer, but there are some places that it's like, well, we need, like, we need to start, if we start on the stage or behind the stage, I think we're starting too late. It's kind of like Jeffrey Canada and his teaching academy. You've got to start when these babies are in the womb so you can figure out how to bring them, um, bring them up to par. Because the last thing we need is pushing people through because I've seen this happen to be honest I've seen plays that were shoved through when 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 people realize that their um that their programming was too white in a particular year and they shove in a black play that's half baked or not ri- and then it gets shitty reviews and then what you know so like and then they, it
0: reinforces like C
1: and then it yeah, reinforces C yeah. it doesn't sell C we can't whatever so I it's think a risk, to- yeah So I think that there needs to be a more long-term approach to this. I believe in the demands. I think that's great to, to, uh, you know, they talk about pay transparency and parity on that level, because I know that there have been like some really scandalous pay gaps um, in certain people. And the problem, the reason why the white American theater needs to be called out is because they are the ones that are patting themselves on the back for being so liberal. So that's where it's a little bit ding, tight ding, ding. you get tight because it's like you got to shine the light on like, yes, you guys think you're good liberals and that you believe in equity and you believe in parity. But are you actually practicing what you preach? And that's what I think the movement is about. I'm not a part of the movement, but, I, you know, that was that that's my understanding based on on on, you know, the literature out there. So I want, you know. And I want these things. I think it would, I, I wonder, I look back on these really pleasant theater experiences I've had and I wonder how they could have been further advanced by having more people of color in the room, how they could have been that much more dynamic, that much more, um, you know, fair and, and beautiful based on based on that diversity, um, that was not there. Um, but uh yeah i think i think that i i love the movement i love what it stands for i do think that they need to if they really want change they might have to do more unpaid labor in terms of really meeting out exactly how these things can be achieved because just saying we want 50 percent equity that's nice but like how you know, how can these theaters start partnering with some of these drama schools in terms of making sure that they are bringing forth 50% people of color in their graduating classes so that there can be a pipeline, you know, like, into, like how, 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 you know, there's a lot of, I have a lot of how questions with the movement that I, that I have not yet been answered, but I agree that, you know, we should have obviously more, more equality in the theater on all levels.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, when you talk about every single role that takes, uh, you know, that that it takes to kind of produce one of these shows, you're talking about lighting people, like production people, I mean, like, there's not a whole bunch of black, you know, lighting union members, for instance, probably, you know, so it's like, where are these people literally coming from? So, I mean, and that's really, I mean, there is a pipeline issue. And also, these are industries that are incredibly competitive. So, I mean, like, I can only imagine how some white people are, are looking at this being like, I already struggle to get a job, you know, with all my advantages, with maybe my mom who's in theater or whatever, or my dad who's an agent. Um, it's gonna get messy, but it has to, because that's like, it's already yeah. messy for us, so. I mean, it's um, already
1: messy for us, and I also wanna, just to touch on that point quickly, I know we're, we're running out of time, but I just wanna say that like, I feel, Um, this has been a long-standing problem for me because I have had white actor friends tell me to my face that the reason they're not getting cast is because of diversity. And that like, she's like, oh, I'm like a plus size, like, you know, white girl. So all the funny roles would usually are now go, they have to cast diverse. And so that's why I'm, that's what, and, and this is not just their own like laziness in terms of actually thinking about it, but it's also their agents. Their agents are telling them this. And I have a friend, bless her, she dropped her agent after her agent tried to use that excuse and she leapt to another agency. Now she was at the status where she could do that I have a lot of friends who are just begging for their agents to call them back, so they don't necessarily have that 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 leeway. That leeway, but, yeah. but I think there is a narrative that is like putting us, you know, on track for a left wing left wing race war because, like, all of these unemployed actors are thinking that they're unemployed because of black people or because of Latinos or because of you know Indigenous folk getting roles.
2: Absolutely, it's a huge problem in London. Like, huge. And the, I, 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 I'm flabbergasted because that's also been said to my face that it must be so easy to work because you're black. It, I'd be working all the time if I was black. Um, oh my gosh, people of color are so, you know, in style now. It, it's so easy for you, like, it. there, there is, and it's and it, it's progressive people, it's it's left leaning people who are saying these things, and it's reinforced by by gatekeepers who disdain having to diversify. They have this subconscious disdain for having to 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 be inclusive, and and there's this idea that. I, there, I won't mention names, but there, there was a big thing that happened a, about two years ago in London with a particular agent who was on a Facebook group with a group of other agents and someone leaked what she said about how, oh, I can't get any of my client's name for this because all they're looking for is va-va-voom. She said va-va-voom in regards to people of color, va-va-voom. She said, she said, they won't see my clients because they only want people with va va boom. Um, um, I it's a, it's, it's,
0: one more
2: time. va <laughs> <laughs> va um, yeah. it, It's, it's, it's a problem. It's, it's, it's a huge, huge problem yeah. when, when your peers devalue you to that extent and then feel comfortable enough to say it to your face. Like that is, that is, that is indicative of what we're dealing with here, that there's going to be pushback. There's going to be pushback. If in the in, in the if if my friend can say that to me, of course there's going to be systemic pushback to these demands.
0: Well, it's like that person's not even living in reality. They're like, God, no, like you black people are just taking everything. It's like,
1: I mean, it's the, have it's you first, seen, it's seen anything? It's the it's the affirmative action argument, right? Like exactly. it's just that, like you got in because and it and it and, yeah. it and it denigrates your contribution as an artist down to your skin color and that really sucks because it's like yeah. my skin color is way more even in today 2020 with such a light being shown on racism. Like my skin color is absolutely because we haven't even gotten into and obviously we don't we don't have 35 hours but like we haven't even gotten into like colorism like when they say they want a black girl do they want a black girl like me nine times out of ten no you know nine times out of ten they'll go the zendaya route and and then check the box of being like we got a woman of color or you know like and that's the you know and that's that's a whole other issue of just fighting against like as a dark-skinned person the roles that are available to me you know like i had to have a very Clear when I sign up with my managers, I have a very clear talk about like I I don't want to play a maid. I don't want to play you know like the, all the things that that she can easily get you know. I don't want to play that sexless like you know hard driving like you like I, I I those roles don't interest me and that means I work less and luckily I have a writing career to fall back on. But you know these are these are the the these are the issues that that you know plague the industry. So when a white person just flippantly says you get all the roles because you're black it makes my head want to explode because you have no idea you have never inquired after my experience in this industry and so for you to just be able to like whip that off is it's painful and they don't care
0: they're not trying they're not doing it because they have some deep empathy for you or any kind of like they just like some racist knee-jerk thing that makes them feel better about their own short yes that's
2: what it, that's that's a hundred percent what it comes down to it comes down to you know, it's a very competitive business, and and we actors are all insecure to uh, to a point. You know what I mean? Because we're you're you're always you're always striving to be better and to improve your craft, and you're it's it's you're always ever evolving. Um, so I, I I think I think people see other people doing well who weren't doing well and they need to rationalize that um and 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 kind of contextualize it to make themselves feel better and you know if you're doing that based on someone's race that is you being racist and that is what people just need to swallow like you can be a great nice person a good friend to me you cannot be a racist but you are being racist what you just said is racist a f
0: Full stop. Um, yes. Well, this has been really wonderful. I mean, I, I want to give, and I know you got to go, I, there's a, given the state of things, like theater has never felt more kind of existentially threatened, all these people are not working, um, what are your kind of party words for like, how does it, how, how, does, how does this moment get capitalized on well? Because I feel like since everything's to a halt, it is actually a very, very good time to reimagine things like drastically as opposed to kind of incrementally. Um, Just any parting words about like what you hope happens during these next few months.
1: Yeah, um, I'll use an example that I've shared with you before, but um, Roundabout Theater Company um, announced their season. They said they were not coming back until spring 2021 and they announced their season and they included a new play um, uh, by Alice Childress. Uh, which is a play within a play about the the failings of the white American theater, and she initially was supposed to go to Broadway with it back in the '70s, I believe, '70s or '80s, oh, wow. and they and they ended up uh, killing the production because she wouldn't change the ending because to please the white producers who were then on board, and so she kind of you know she died of cancer in like '94 something. She never got to see any of her plays done. Um, you know, on, on, on the Great White Way. And uh, now she's gonna finally have her Broadway debut almost 30 years after her death. Um, and I think that that was a really, somebody at Roundabout was doing their research and found this play, which is pretty obscure, and, and decided to give it a platform. Um, and so in, there are small things like that, that I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe people are really taking this seriously and really realizing all the harms that have been done in the past, the innumerable harms that have been done to artists in the past, black artists in the past, can, you know, we can give those, those wrongs a platform and also use it as a way to make great art. Right, I
0: was gonna say, it's, it's just, justice driven, but it's also quite savvy, I would say, whoever's in charge of that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's reparations, it's providing, you know, it's providing work for people of color. It's, you know, it's it's actualizing, um, you know, moments in, in history that, you know, were restrictive and
0: counterproductive. Yeah, so. That's okay. great. Well, yeah, I mean, on that note, I feel like, you know, we can hope for better. Uh, I love you guys so much. Thank you very much, it's been great. Uh, Let's hope that this is something that you know. A year from now, we look back at what's going on and we're like, "Wow, like, this is all worth it," you know. Or at least like the ball is rolling faster than it ever would have. Uh, with- it,
2: yeah, absolutely. I think I think that uh, this is a moment that feels kinetic and that feels like we're we're we could capitalize on this in 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 profound ways. And you know, I I'm hopeful that because of all this energy that that we we will continue these conversations
0: sure well stay stay safe across the pond Aaron. now Donna, Thanks. also stay safe in new york love you both thank you bye and keep doing what you thank do.
1: you